I was uh, just thinking about uh, what we did last week, and man, what a beautiful service we had. But I was thinking about what what just happened, you know. And I, as I think about, you know, Easter, and you know, just uh, yeah, I think we all know about the cross and the crucifixion, and you know what happened. Jesus died for our sins. But guys, I want to just tell you, I think there's so much more. And so, if you missed Easter last week, don't worry, you're going to get it again today. Uh, I mean, it's just so good. I, you know, I mean, I can't let this stuff go. So, all right. So we're going to start in John chapter 20. And I want to read this, and then I'll just kind of break it down and talk about it. This is the first Sunday of the month. This is our communion Sunday. So when we finish, we'll have communion at the end of the service. And um, I just want to say that, you know, communion is really for believers. It's for those that have given their life to the Lord and said that I want Jesus to be my Lord and Savior. So, you know, if you haven't done that, just, uh, you know, uh, there's no judgment here in this place. I promise you there's no judgment. If, some, if you decide you want to pass, nobody's going to look at you and wonder anything at all. But this may be, before I'm done, you may decide that you want to give your life to the Lord this morning. And then if you do, man, join that table. Join that cup. Early Sunday morning. Yeah, I, I don't know about you guys, but I'm kind of pumped this morning. I don't know if you can tell it or not. But I'm excited about the Word of God, still excited about, you know, the resurrection, still excited about the empty tomb. I'm just pumped on this stuff. So early Sunday morning, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone was rolled aside from the entrance. I love this because, you know what, you know, in one of the other translations, it says that the women were going to the tomb wondering, you know, who's going to roll the stone away? Now, I mean, it's an impossible feat. It was impossible for them to roll the stone away, even all of the women together. Uh, they couldn't roll it away, but it didn't stop them from moving forward. And I, I want to just tell you that sometimes an impossible, when you face the impossible, just keep moving forward and watch what God does. All right. And Mary Magdalene came to the tomb and found that the stone was rolled aside from the entrance. She ran and found Simon Peter and me, this is John writing, and said, they have taken the Lord's body out of the tomb. I don't know where they have put him. We ran to the tomb to, the, to see, and I, John, speaking about John, uh, outran Peter. This is not John the Baptist. This is James and John, the sons of Zebedee. He says, I outran Peter and got there first and stooped down and looked in and saw the linen cloth lying there, but I didn't go in. And then Simon Peter arrived and went on the inside. He also noticed the cloth lying there while the swath had been covered, while the swath that had covered Jesus' head was rolled up in a bundle and was lying at the side. And then I went in too and saw and believed that he had risen. For until then, we hadn't realized that the scripture said he would come to life again. And we went on home, and by that time, Mary had returned to the tomb and was standing outside crying. And as she wept, she stooped and looked in and saw two white-robed angels sitting at the head and the foot of the place where the body of Jesus was lying. Now, I bet you've read that before, and I have too, but I don't know if you've ever thought about that or thought about this, that if you've ever seen a picture of the Ark of the Covenant. On the Ark of the Covenant, which is, you know, has the mercy seat there, there's an angel that's on each end. And what she, what she is seeing, she is actually seeing a type 
of the Ark of the Covenant. Two angels, one on the left, one at the right, one at the head, one at the foot. And um, so it goes on to say that uh, as she wept, she stooped and looked in and saw two white-robed angels sitting at the head and the foot of the place where the body of Jesus had been lying. Why are you crying, the angels asked. Because they have taken away my Lord, she replied, and I don't know where they have put him. And she glanced over her shoulder and saw someone standing behind her. It was Jesus, but she didn't recognize him. Why are you crying, he asked her. Who are you looking for? And she thought he was the gardener. Sir, she said, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. Mary. I mean, this is just such an incredible moment right now. He has been there talking to her for a few minutes, and then all of a sudden he calls her by name. Remember in John chapter 10, he says that, I know my sheep, I know them, I know them by name, uh, I call them, they listen to me. It was like, this is just like one of those incredible moments, kind of like the, remember the story of the two disciples on the Emmaus Road, they're walking with Jesus, they're talking with Jesus, and they still don't know who Jesus is, and then they stop after a period of time, maybe hours on that road, and they break bread. Jesus takes the bread and breaks the bread and gives it to them. And immediately their eyes were open. They recognized Jesus and he disappears out of their sight. This is the same kind of moment. I mean, they're there and Jesus calls her name. And I want to tell you that God knows your name. You're not just a number. You're not just, you know, somebody to him. You know, he knows your name. And you are important to him. He laid down his life for you. Mary, Jesus said, and she turned toward him, Master, or some of your translations may say Rabboni, which means teacher, she exclaimed. And Jesus said, listen to this. I'm going to come back to this. Don't touch me, he cautioned, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father. But go find my brothers and tell them, I ascend to my Father and to your Father and to my God and to your God. Now, I know that some of you, when you read this, you, you may be thinking of the next 40 days, 40 days later, you know, in the book of Acts, is how the book of Acts starts out. Jesus is there with the disciples, and then all of a sudden he ascends into heaven. But that is not what this is talking about. He is on his way to present himself to the Father. We're going to break this down. I want to just talk to you about three points this morning. I'm going to talk to you about the wrath of God being satisfied. And we've got a little video that I think we've got that queued up. But the wrath of God being satisfied, how Jesus descended into the lower parts of the earth or to hell or to Hades or uh, to Sheol, or, and then how he ascended to the Father. But let's just take a moment. If we can cut the lights, crank this thing up. This is really good. If you want to sing along with it, you can. But there's one phrase in there toward the end of this song, and it says that, and on that cross where Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. Listen to this. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my soul. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. What heights of love, what depths of peace, when fears are still. 
So on that day, I just want to just kind of give us an overview of what happened, what was happening on that cross and when Christ was in the grave, you know, he just didn't go in the grave and sleep for three days and then just kind of get up, you know, uh, he was busy, he was doing some stuff and we're going to look at the stuff that he was doing, okay, but the wrath of God was satisfied, what's that mean? Uh, the Bible tells us uh, in Matthew's gospel from the sixth hour, that's about 12 o'clock at noon, until the ninth hour, darkness came over the land. Uh, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so this darkness, this darkness comes upon the whole land. And I believe that as God was taking all of, um, he was taking all of the sin of man, taking all of mankind's sin, all of my sin and all of your sin and placing it upon Jesus. And then I believe that God had to just turn his back that, you know, that, he, that in his holiness that he could not look and behold the sin. Now, in Isaiah chapter 53, uh, or excuse me, in 59, 1 and 3, it says, The Lord isn't too weak to save you, and he isn't getting deaf. He can hear you when you call but the trouble is that your sins have cut you off from God. Because of sin, he has turned his face away from you and will not listen anymore. Now, that applies today, but it certainly applied then. I believe that that's exactly what happened is that as all of the sin was placed upon Jesus, that God just like turned his face away. Darkness covers the face of the land for three hours. And then we read in Isaiah 53, it says that yet it pleased God, it pleased God to bruise him. He has put him to, uh, to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. That's us today, the, the result of Jesus going to the cross. We are his seed, the seed of life, the seed of salvation, the seed of deliverance. We are his seed. We are his offspring. 
He shall pro, uh, prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hands. He shall see his labor or the labor of his soul and be satisfied, and by his knowledge my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Now listen to another translation that last verse. It says that he took the place of many sinners and prayed that they might be forgiven. Well, when did that happen? It happened immediately. We see that from the cross, when they had taken, uh, came to the place called the skull, they crucified him along with some criminals, one on the right and one on the left. And Jesus said, as he's hanging there from the cross, you remember how Isaiah says that he prayed for sinners? He's looking down from the cross and he says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. It happened immediately. It happened just right there on the cross. The second thing that happened that day, or actually that evening, it says that he descended into Hades. Uh, from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 8, it says, When he ascends on high, or when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. He gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended. What does it mean? But he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. What in the world does that mean? Well, let me tell you. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 17, John is seeing, John is on the Isle of Patmos. This vision of God is coming to him. The whole revelation, the book of Revelation, this incredible vision is coming to him. It says, and it begins in chapter 1, verse 17, and when I saw him, John says, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Okay, so what that means is that when Jesus descended into the lower parts of the, of the earth, uh, into, uh, out of death and into Hades, uh, he came to this place where he, he comes face to face with Satan who has the keys up into that time of death. He strips Satan of, of his power. And it's very much, this is very similar to the story that we see in Luke's gospel about Abraham uh, and ri the rich man and Lazarus. And the rich man sees Lazarus. He sees this great uh, chasm there. And Abraham and the rich or the poor man are on one side and the rich man's on the other side of the chasm. The, the, the rich man is in torment at this place, but he looks over to where Abraham and, uh, and, and Lazarus are and they're not in torment. They're not in any kind of torment. And up until this time, up until the time that Jesus died, if you died, you went to this place called paradise. That's what Jesus told the thief on the cross. Today, you're going to be with me in paradise. And, of course, paradise for the believers and for the righteous was not a place of torment at all. It was a place of waiting. And so when Jesus goes into this place, he strips Satan of the keys of, of uh, Hades and death, takes them, and the Bible says that he leads captivity captive. We read that uh, since the children, in Hebrews chapter 2, since the children have flesh and blood, he, speaking about Jesus, he too shared their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death or the keys to death, that is the devil, and free those who have all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. 
Uh, what the Bible tells us is because of what Jesus did on Calvary's cross, because of his death and his burial and resurrection, you don't have to be afraid of physical death, and you certainly don't have to be afraid of spiritual death, that he has overcome the grave and he's overcome death. And so he goes down and he's taking these Old Testament saints, those that have believed in Jesus, he's going to lead them, he's going to lead captivity captive. There's a, a, a beautiful psalm, Psalm 24, that kind of like um, illustrates this. And this song, uh, psalm was sung uh, during the feast days when the children of Israel would go up to some of those appointed feasts, they would have to go up to the temple. Remember, there were three times of year that men were required to go up uh, to the temple. And as they would go up, they would sing this song. But I want to just tell you that I believe that as Jesus goes down and he leads captivity captive, uh, they come out, they're coming up, and they're going into heaven, and there's those gates there. It says, lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. And I believe that the, uh, those, uh, that angelic host that's sitting there guarding that gate in temple, uh, that gate in heaven or that temple in heaven, or the walls there, those protective walls that are there, shouted out, who is this king of glory? And then those Old Testament saints would have responded because he is the Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. He just went into hell. He just kicked Satan's tail, took the keys away from him. Now he's up in heaven. And, you know, they're doing this little dialogue back and forth. And they're saying, lift up your heads, O you gate. Lift them up, you ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. And they shout once again, who is this king of glory? Well, it's Jesus. It's Jesus, the Lord Almighty. He is the King of glory. Now, that's good news. That's good news for us. So, amen. You can clap for that if you want. So, he ascends. Not only did he, go, did he descend into uh, the depths of the earth, into Hades and hell and the grave, but he also ascended on high, and he led captivity captive. And so, uh, on his way up, all right, now check this out. On his way, if he's going from, he's got to pass from, you know, from Hades through the earth and uh, up into the heaven. And on his way out of Hades, he's got to stop and talk to Mary. Uh, and he's got to give her just a little bit of information. Uh, remember that she was there. She was the first one at the tomb. She's the first one. I mean, think about this, guys or everybody, not just men in gender. I'm speaking to all of you this morning. It's a Texas slang word, guys. We're all guys. But uh, uh, think about this. He, he's coming up. He's been with the disciples for three and a half years. I think about two and a half years into his ministry, Mary gets uh, delivered and saved. She had the seven demons. Those come out. He you know, delivers her from, from uh, this demonic oppression in her life. And the Bible tells us in John chapter 8, you know, I mean, I, when I've read this before, I think the, uh, the little uh, Bible, uh, uh, what was it called, the series, uh, the Bible, the mini-series called the Bible, kind of illustrated it to me and kind of brought some scriptures to life to me. And that was that some of the women were traveling. You know, they continued to uh, constantly travel with the men, with the twelve. And uh, they were helping. They ministered to them. I mean, think about it. Could 12 guys actually take care of themselves? 
you know, for two and a half years. They probably couldn't. They had to have these women there. And so Mary is the first one that he stops and he, he talks to. And he tells her, I mean, because the guys can't follow instructions, you know, just a couple of verses before, he tells them, or chapters before, he says, I'm going to go up to Jerusalem, I'm going to be crucified, and I'm going to go before you into Galilee. So if you were really a believer, you know, what would you be doing in Jerusalem? You know, you would say, okay, he said he's going to Galilee. Hey, pack up, let's go to Galilee. But they didn't. They just kind of waited there. And so he tells Mary, tell my disciples that I've risen and I've gone into Galilee. You know, um, and guys, I mean, honestly, we're not good at, uh, at following directions. Um, and we can see that with the 12 as well, or the 11 at that point. You know, I was, uh, how many of you use a little navigator device on your phone? Anybody? Am I the only one? I've got one. Uh, I want you to know that uh, mine never works, and I just realized because it says on the back that it's made in shield. Uh, that's hell, by the way. Um, I was in Albuquerque the other day trying to find some place, and, you know, I mean, this thing is directing me all over Albuquerque. I mean, I'm on the east side of I-25, and, you know, I know that just we aren't even getting close to where I'm supposed to be, so... You know, I punched in another number, and the nice little lady's voice comes on, turn left, and a quarter mile, turn right, you know, turn left, turn right. So I do this for about 10 minutes, and finally it says, you have arrived at your destination. You know where I was? I was at a cemetery, a graveyard. I'm like, are you serious? Are you serious, lady? Don't do this to me. <laughs> ah. All right, so we're really not good at following directions. We need a little bit of help, and that nice little lady's voice kind of sometimes gets me to where I want to go. All right, let me just kind of move into the next phase of this, okay? Now, I told you I was going to come back to this. Look at verse 17 again, because this is really important here. He says, uh, Mary, and he says, uh, verse 17, after he appears to her, and she recognizes it's not the gardener, it's really Jesus, he says to her, don't touch me. Some of the translations say, don't cling to me. That's, a, that's a, a bad translation because that word in the Greek is the same word that's used by the woman that had the issue of blood. Remember, she kind of, you know, kind of gets through the crowd and she says uh, to herself, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I'll be okay. It's the same word. And he's saying, Mary, don't touch me. Now, follow me through on this, okay? He says, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go and find my brothers and tell them that I ascend to my Father and to your Father and to my God and to my God. And so what's happening, you know, as Jesus is passing through, I believe, with those Old Testament saints, he has to stop. He gives Mary that instruction. And, and you're probably wondering, look at this. This really makes a lot of sense uh, Matthew 27, listen to this again. Matthew 27. When Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up the Spirit. And at that moment, the curtain of the temple, I mean, all of this is going on. These are just like, you know, just kind of, you know, peripheral uh, kind of signs and wonders that are happening at the moment that Jesus is there on the cross and, and during this next couple of days. But when he had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up the Spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That is, if you don't know what that means, and don't read over it too quickly, that's the Holy of Holies. 
That's where the high priest would go in to make this offering year after year. He'd go into this, this little room that was only designated for the high priest. And I believe what God was saying is, I'm going to, and, and, the, and some say that the uh, curtain of the temple was like a woven rug. It was like, you know, thicker than the carpet on your floor. And then all of a sudden it's just torn in half. And I believe that what God is saying is, this old system has passed away and where you needed a priest before to go in and make an offering for you because you couldn't get into the Holy of Holies, now you have access into the Holy of Holies because of what Jesus did. Amen? All right, yeah. And so uh, at that moment, the curtain was torn from two and top to bottom. The earth shook. Listen to this. Rock split. I catch this right here. And the tombs broke open. And the body of many of the holy people who had died were raised to life. And they came out of the tomb. And after, that was, and after Jesus' rec resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many people. So on the first day of the week after the resurrection, when Jesus is leading this procession from hell and he's taking them up to, the, up to heaven... You know, these graves open, and part of these, I believe that, you know, Jesus says to him, hey, guys, we're going, we're going to the Father, but on the way there, I got to stop by earth. I got to tell Mary to remind the disciples to go before me into Galilee, that I'll meet them there. And, uh, and I believe that while they're there, the Old Testament saints just said, hey, it's been a long time since we've been in Jerusalem. You mind if we walk around a little bit and kind of check it out? We want to just see what it looks like. And, and who knows what they thought. You know, I'm sure Abraham and David and some of the prophets said, oh, man, look how it's developed over here, and they got a store over here, and, you know, I'm, you know, I'm sure that they were just like, wow, you know. All right, then Jesus says, okay, come on, we're moving on. All right, you guys with me? It certainly makes more sense, that Matthew scripture. Now, listen, all right, here's what happened. So he's going, notice what he says. He's got to go and present himself to the Father. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11, it says, He, speaking about Jesus, came as a high priest of this better system, better than the old system where, you know, oxes and lamb and sheep and goats were slaughtered uh, and their blood was used for the offering of sin. He, Jesus, came as a high priest of this better system that we now have. And he went into that greater, perfect tabernacle into heaven not made by men, nor part of this world, and once for all took blood into that inner room, the Holy of Holies, and sprinkled it on the mercy seat. But it was not the blood of goats and calves. No, he took his own blood, and with it, by himself, made sure of our eternal salvation. So what he's telling Mary, he's saying, Mary, don't touch me yet. Don't touch me. I still haven't ascended to my Father. i got to go up and present myself as a sacrifice, present the blo my blood in the Holy of Holies, okay? And, uh, and so he does that. And then we see in Luke chapter 24, this is also in John's Gospel, John 20, that night, okay, that night, while they were still talking about this, is talking about the disciples, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. And they were startled and frightened, thinking that he saw a ghost. And he said to them, listen to this, catch this, 
why are you troubled? And why do you doubt, or why do doubts rise in your mind? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself, listen, catch it, touch me, and see. What's the difference? In the morning, he tells Mary, don't touch me. Mary, don't. Don't, Mary, don't touch me. And then he goes up and presents himself to the Father goes into the Holy of Holies with his blood, and this, one of the translations says, to make sure of our redemption. Well, that simply just means that he bought back, he paid for the lives of men, paid for my life, paid for your life. And then he comes back, comes back after spending that time with the Father, presenting himself, the sacrifice to the Father, and then there's all kind of doubt, doubts in the believer's minds or the disciples' minds, and he says, you know, I'm not a ghost. Touch me. It's okay. Now you can. I've already presented it. I've already presented the offering, already presented myself. You can touch me now. Is that good news? That's good news right there. That's good news right there. I want to pray with you. Let me just ask you, what's God saying to you this morning? What's the Holy Spirit saying to you this morning? We think about life and we think about just this event. This is the event that marked and shaped and changed the world. The death, the burial, and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you that he did it for you.